0: Lord, we are grateful. Um, the days go by rapidly. It's, just, it's really kind of staggering how, how quickly each day goes by. Um, I think of Psalm 90. It's for the days of our lives, they contain 70 years, or due to strength, 80. But soon it is gone, and we fly away. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that um, every day, every day is a gift from you. We thank you, Lord, that uh, that you've given us life, that you've given us existence. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you sustain our existence. We've been studying that fact. We've been looking at that truth over and over again. It's a truth that we cannot get enough of because of the difficulty of life. Uh, Life is not easy. Life is hard. We all know that. We experience it. But we thank you that uh, as we go through life and as we encounter different things, we are going through purposefully, and you have a purpose in mind for each guy in here. Uh, We are grateful, Lord, that the things that come our way come through your hand, and they are um, in some way, shape, or form, they are preparation for us, for the next work that you have us to do. You're always equipping us. You're always preparing us. You're always refining us. You've always got us in your workshop. Uh, You're sharpening something. You're sanding something down. You're putting another coat of paint on us. You're getting us ready. you're, You're always, Lord, in a construction project with us. And we are grateful that you were so intimately involved in our lives and you were so concerned about us. We uh, are coming to the end of this semester, and it has gone by rapidly, and as we have looked at uh, your providential hand, we've been encouraged, especially especially when things are hard, especially when things are difficult. And we do understand, Lord, that uh, you're, you're in control of all things and that you're in charge of all things. And we are also very cognizant of the fact that Jesus is head of the church, and that, Lord... As individuals go through hard times, churches go through hard times. Uh, Life is not perpetual difficulty, but we go through those seasons for a reason. So we would pray, Lord, as as Les uh, mentioned, uh, for wisdom. We'd pray for uh, insight. We thank you for our leaders. We thank you for their commitment to you. We thank you for their commitment to the scriptures. We thank you for their courage. We thank you for honesty in a day where so many things are spun and so many things are uh pr'd and all that we're grateful we're not in a situation like that uh, we pray lord that uh, that much good would come out of a difficult season uh, quite frankly we don't even have to pray that that's just how you work and that's how you operate we pray lord that you would give us all teachable spirits that we would learn from what we're seeing around us uh, Much good comes out of situations like these. Um, There should be fear in our hearts because, uh, Lord, we are all capable of making wrong moves and wrong decisions. So we ask that you enable us uh, to be reminded on a daily basis to guard our hearts. For from it flows the wellspring of life. Help us to, to protect, Lord. Uh, the the, the headwaters of our lives, so that they don't become uh, polluted, they don't become compromised, but that they'd be honorable to you. The the Scripture says, Thy word I have hid in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. That's why we'll look at your word tonight. We ask that you'll give us precisely what we need. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing to truck down the road on our study on the providence of God. And uh, if you've been here, you know that we were in Joseph's life for quite a while, and we saw the providence of God at work there. And now what we're doing is we're looking at the providence of God through fish. Just, just to do it. Just, just for a different slant. Because you've got some incidents in the scripture that concern fish. You had the prophet and the fish. You had the fisherman and the fish, that being Peter, the former being Jonah. Uh, What we're going to look at tonight, if you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn it to Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, what we're going to look at, uh, I would title this taxes and fish. Matthew 17 records a miracle that is only recorded in the book of Matthew. Uh, It is the only miracle that Jesus did that involves money. But as we talk about the providence of God, so oftentimes the providence of God involves money. Uh, When we speak of the providence of God, and once again, if if you've been with us, you've got this down now, but the providence of God simply means that which God creates, God sustains. That which God creates, God provides for. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. In other words, that which God starts God finishes. How does he do that? By his providence. The providence of God means that God is in control of everything. 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 I got about a 90-second glimpse of a Christian television program this week, and I couldn't stand to watch any more. And it was very sad, and I mean this. It, it, it was very sad because uh, a man who had, had a great tragedy in his life... Uh, was briefly sharing this tragedy, and he was trying to come to grips with it and trying to understand it. And he was telling the interviewer that, uh, that Jesus appeared to him in his office and was explaining to him that, yes, difficult things happen, and, and yes, uh, it is true, Jesus said, that accidents happen. And no, he really couldn't. Um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here but accidents do happen to Christians and it was sort of like Jesus was a little baffled I couldn't watch anymore I I just I couldn't take it because that's just um, number one Jesus didn't appear to him it's sort of like when Oral Roberts said Jesus appear you know know, these guys these yo-yos what is with these guys you remember that? There was a 600-foot Jesus that Oral Roberts saw. You guys remember this? You guys that like Oral Roberts, you're not going to like this. <laughs> but I'm not making this up. So Oral Roberts was in this great financial crisis, and he built this big, big medical center that God told him to build. God's always telling these guys to do stuff. And, uh, and so he built it, and now it's, it's, they're not, not going to make it. And, and so he's got to get an X amount of money in. And so Robert says, well, this 600-foot Jesus appeared. Well, Jesus was not 600 feet, number one. Now, the, the tower thing he built up there was about 580. So it was like Jesus is standing over it. So Jesus had to be 600 feet. And, and, and basically, God told him, if, this, if somebody doesn't send this money in, God's going to kill or Roberts. Well, you know, you could look at that a couple different ways, but. <laughs> so finally, some racetrack owner somewhere sends him the money. And, uh, and then, years later, he was on Phil Donahue. And Donahue, who I normally don't like, in this deal, I really liked because Donahue pressed him, impressed him, impressed him, and said, did, a literal, did Jesus literally appear? And he goes, Well, I saw it with my spiritual eyes. How do I get into that? How do I get into that? Oh, no, not money. Just the fact that uh, one day Jesus is going to appear. One day he's coming back. But right now he's at the right hand of the Father. Uh, does Jesus speak to us? Yeah, he speaks to us through his word. That's how he speaks to us. Uh, it's, it's really remarkable. I was reading something that, a fairly respected Bible teacher of women uh, uh, said recently, and I was reading this this week, and I was just shaking my head. And uh, she had this real strong impression. In fact, she didn't say it was a brush. She said God told her to do this. And so she did this, and quite frankly, it was kind of a... Um, I'm not even going into it. But she said, and God told me, and then he said, do this and do this. And I want to say, wait a minute. Hold your horses. How do you know he said that? When you start turning around, God said this, and God told me this, and God said, and see, and all, that's all we hear these days. This is how I know that God told me. This is how I know that God said it. Right? Um, some of you guys have Bibles with the words of Jesus in red. Well, if you're going to be consistent, the whole Bible ought to be in read. Because it's all the word of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have impressions. I, I quoted last week from George Mueller, the great man who did all the orphanages and was really had a gift of faith and lived by faith. And, and when he was seeking the will of God, he was in the Scriptures. I mentioned, and, and I don't say that you read this and it makes everybody feel guilty, but he read through the Bible 200 times in his lifetime, and 100 times he read through it on his knees. Because that's how the guy... That's what he did. He was on his knees before the Lord. He had two, three, four thousand orphans to take care of. And so he was always in the scriptures and reading the promises. But when he would talk, he he would give instruction to people here's how you get to know the will of God. He said, be very careful of impressions. Make sure it's in the scripture, make sure it's what the text says. We live in an evangelical world that's just lost their mind. So we got 600 foot tall Jesuses, we got people telling this. You know, Jesus told me to grow an organic peach tree in my backyard. And what do you say to that? How do you stop them? It's all very subjective. Let's stick with the Word of God. <clears throat> okay, now I feel much better. I, it had nothing to do with where I was going. It sort of did. It sort of did. Because the guy, I know how I got into all that. Jesus appeared and Jesus said, Yeah, accidents happen. Acc- Let me tell you something. Number one, Jesus didn't appear. Number two, Jesus didn't say that. Because this word of God doesn't say that. There are no accidents. He upholds all things by the word of his power. I, I felt bad for the man and his personal tragedy, but that's no excuse to preach heresy. There are no accidents. If you've been with us in our study, you know that. Just read Proverbs 16. You'll find out real quick there are no accidents. Okay. But we're in Matthew 17, aren't we? This is one wild miracle. Um, Matthew 17, 24. The providence of God. That which God creates, God sustains. That which God creates, God provides for. Note verse 24 of Matthew 17. When they came to Capernaum, this is up on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Jerusalem would be down to the south. Okay? The, uh, Capernaum was sort of Jesus' headquarters during his three year ministry. This, this was his stomping grounds. He had an office up there, so to speak. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax, which. Two drachma. A drachma would be a um, equivalent to a day's wages. There was a tax that was a two drachma. All right. I'll explain the tax to you in a minute. So it was a two-day wage tax. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, "Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax?" He said, "Yes." And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? And when Peter said, From strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. That is bizarre. That's more bizarre than some guy on Christian television could make up. It just happens to be true. That's the difference. Uh, Tonight, how many observations do I have? I've I've got seven observations on this text. Out of this text... On the providence of God. Let's just, let's just jump. Let's go right into it, okay? Number one. In the providence of God, the possibilities of provision are endless. One more time for you guys taking notes. In the providence of God, the possibilities of provision are endless. I was reading in World Magazine today you don't get World Magazine, you ought to subscribe to World Magazine. Uh, produced by Christians, where is it? Right here. How many of you guys get World? Yeah, You'd really like this. News Magazine, written from a Christian perspective, biblical perspective. Joel Bells, Marlon, Marvin Olasky, good stuff. In their section, quotables. Here's the quote. Each ultrasound, they kept finding another child. That's the quote. It um, comes from Rich Fontana of New Brunswick, New Jersey, on discovering that his wife Sharon was pregnant with triplets. Their second set of triplets in two years. <clears throat> what did he say? Each ultrasound, they kept finding another child. Okay. He discovered his wife Sharon was pregnant with triplets, their second set of triplets in two years. The triplets conceived without the help of fertility drugs. Fertility drugs were born premature but healthy last week. Twelve years ago, a doctor told Mrs. Fontana that she was infertile. (coughs) And now they have um, six kids. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have an ultrasound. (laughs) You wouldn't have an ultrasound, yeah. Uh, You know, isn't that interesting? Uh, You can never have children, you're infertile. Oh, now they got six, isn't that great? I was reading, uh, reading this article, uh, this biography on uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, and um, you know, Bach was a committed Christian, loved Christ. When uh, they discovered his Bible, just not too many years ago in Missouri, his notated Bible with all his notes, his study notes, he had Luther's translation of the Bible. Grew up in the same area that where Luther ministered uh, 200 years later. Uh, had volumes of Luther's theology. This guy was a committed believer. Loved the Lord, and his stuff honored Christ. Um, when he was a young man, he was going to school. and uh, well, I'll just read it. Bach's cousin, Johann Ernst, lived in Hamburg. Previously, the two of them had gone to school together in uh, Ordruf. The presence of family must have helped to offset the cost of traveling back and forth. However, Bach's trips placed a strain upon his finances. He's just a young guy. This situation is illustrated by a story that Bach used to remember with pleasure. Happened to him as a young man. Here's the story. Since he made several trips to hear this master, it happened one day since he stayed longer in Hamburg than the state of his purse permitted That on his way home to Lunenburg, he only had a couple of shillings in his pocket. He had not gotten halfway home yet when he developed a keen appetite and accordingly went into an inn where the savory odors from the kitchen only made the state in which he found himself ten times more painful. In the midst of his sad meditations on this subject, he heard the grinding noise of a window opening and saw a pair of herring heads thrown out onto the rubbish pile. Since he was a true... Thuringian, which is supposedly an area in Germany, not supposedly, it is, where they eat fish heads. The sight of these heads made his mouth begin to water, and he lost not a second in taking possession of them. And lo and behold, he had hardly started to tear them apart when he found a Danish ducat, money, hidden in each head. This find enabled him not only to add a portion of roast meat to his meal, but also at the first opportunity to make another pilgrimage in greater comfort to see his master in Hamburg. One of Bach's favorite stories. He loved to eat fish heads. Went to get them. Here's a coin in each fish head. In the providence of God, the possibilities of provision are endless. This is a remarkable story. But let's just keep moving. Number two. In the providence of God, obedience is highly valued. Highly valued. Uh, We are told uh, in the scriptures, in Romans chapter 13, that that God has set the authorities over us, um, that they are ministers for him. Uh, We have laws to prevent us from spinning off into anarchy and chaos. Uh, it's interesting to me that the Antichrist is called the man of lawlessness. When you have lawlessness, you cannot function as a society. When Jesus came, Jesus fulfilled the law in every point, didn't he? The law is there for a reason. Now, you say, what does this mean? In the providence of God, obedience is highly valued. Well, here's the deal. They're, they're out cruising around, they're ministering in different cities. They've been away from Capernaum for quite a while. They show up at Capernaum, and these IRS guys show up. The guys who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and says, does your teacher, does Jesus not pay the two drachma tax? Peter said, yes. Now, why did he say yes? Because he knew the Lord. Now, what was this tax? Interestingly enough, this was not a tax put upon them by the Romans. William Hendrickson comments. Hendrickson says, This had nothing to do with taxes exacted by Rome. It concerns redemption money, the ransom price, a ransom for his soul, which every Israelite 20 years and over was by the Lord ordered to pay and which was used for the maintenance of the sanctuary. You can find this in Exodus chapter 30, verses 12 through 14. You can also find it in 2 Chronicles 24.6. It amounted to half a shekel, equal in value uh, to a d- drachma or a double drachma. The drachma, a Greek silver coin, was about equal in value to a Roman denarius. And as we mentioned, it amounted to a workman's average daily wage. Um, doesn't your teacher pay the double drachma was the question. Yes, he does, Peter's answer. And Peter was right, because Peter knew that Jesus... See, this was commanded in Scripture. This was not a Roman tax. This was a tax commanded in Exodus 30. Does your teacher not pay this? Peter says, of course he pays it. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the law on every point. Uh, We live in an age of grace, and we're thankful for grace. You know what worries me sometimes? Sometimes sometimes we forget in an age of grace that obedience is important. Obedience is important. Uh, We can't live without grace. We can't live without super grace. And the grace of God is always there. The grace of God is always uh, provided for us. You can never plumb the depths of God's grace. But one of the things that God wants to do in our hearts is to develop an obedient spirit. You're raising kids. Don't you want to develop an obedient spirit in the lives of your kids? In the providence of God, obedience is highly valued. Jesus obeyed the Scriptures. Jesus obeyed the law. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to be living in habitual hidden sin and say, Lord Jesus, bless my life, and expect him to do so. The Scriptures talk about the chastening and the discipline of the Lord. In Hebrews 12, if you are a son of God you will be disciplined by God. Good fathers discipline their sons when their sons are disobedient. And all of us with strong fathers said amen. You know, that's what good dads do. Number three, in the providence of God. Now this is wild. In the providence of God, our needs are known before they are voiced. One more time. In the providence of God, our needs are known before they are voiced. You could also say, in the providence of God, all needs are known before they are voiced. Now, I want you to catch something very interesting here in verse 25, and it's very easy to fly over this. So these guys approach Peter. Peter does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. Didn't catch the next words. And when he, who's he? Peter, all right. When he came into the house. All right, so just stop right there. Let's break this down. So he had the conversation with these IRS guys, these temple guys, he had the conversation outside the house, okay? Now he's going to go into the house. When he goes into the house, who's in the house? Jesus. So Jesus was not in on the conversation with the tax guys when they said, Does your master not pay the tax? That was something between the tax guys and Peter outside, on the street, uh, on the sidewalk at starbucks it was outside when peter he's by himself peter is except for the agents when peter then goes into the house jesus is in the house when he came into the house jesus spoke to him catch this first saying so what do you think simon from whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or pull tax from their sons or from strangers Jesus knew all about it before Peter ever told him about it. Jesus wasn't with him, but you see, he's Jesus. As Les said, he's fully God. He's fully man. Uh, our God is omniscient. He knows all things. Our God is omnipresent. Our God is in complete control of everything. So Peter's outside, he has this conversation. He goes in. To report to Jesus in the house, he goes in, Jesus speaks to him first and raises the precise issue that he had been dealing with out there. Why? Uh, Because what's going to happen here is that this is going to raise an issue about a need. Well, in the providence of God, all needs are known before they are voiced. Now, we've talked in here before about open theism. Open theism is being taught in evangelical churches and it basically says that God does not know what's going to happen in the future. You ever get discouraged? You ever look at the nonsense and you just shake your head? Um, So here we've got people all saying, the Lord told me this and the Lord told me this and the Lord told me this and the Lord told me this. And, um, but they tend to be fairly ignorant about their Bibles. And then you've got, in evangelical churches, people teaching that God does not know the future. Now, why is that? Because they're so busy trying to hear the voice of God, they're not reading the Word of God. Well, Jesus said, yeah, there can be accidents. No, you need to read this book. You need to get into this book. You know that Martin Luther, when he was under great attack and when he was in Germany and standing up against the Roman Catholic Church, do you know that at a certain point his friends kidnapped him in order to save his life? They took him off to a remote castle. He was there for a number of weeks studying and in prayer. And one night before he was going to bed, do you know that just as he was going to bed, He turned, there was a presence in the room, he turned, and there was Jesus standing in the room. And you know what Martin Luther did? He looked at that image of Jesus, he looked at that individual, and he looked and he said, get thee behind me, vision. The Lord Jesus has already been revealed to me in his word. How many evangelicals would say that today? No, we'd write it all down and go look for a book contract. Well, <laughs> here's what the Lord said to me. See, Martin Luther knew the book. He knew Jesus. He didn't need Jesus to appear to him because he's got the word of Jesus. And this Jesus knows the future. You're having a conversation. So these guys are raising an issue, and there's a need. What's the need? A tax needs to be paid. So I'm sure Peter's on Peter's mind. He's coming in. Oh, Jesus, but Jesus spoke to him first. By the way, Peter, on this tax issue, I'm sure Peter was on it. I thought you didn't know the future. Later, later what's going to happen is you get up to uh, the crucifixion, Jesus is going to say, you're all gonna fall away from me, and Peter's gonna say, not me. They're all saying, oh no, not me. Uh-uh. Now we're all in this together. Peter said, I'll never deny you, Lord. And Jesus said, Well, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And what happened? Jesus knows. Who he knows all things. See, in order to know all things, in order to control all things, um, well, it's God it's God the reason we keep going over this and if you've been here in this study and you say how long is this guy going to do this providence thing until we quit next week and then when we come back in September I may go over it again uh, probably won't in terms of focusing on the exact study you know what I'm saying but you, but you know what guys you live off this stuff. You live off it. God's in control. God is all powerful. And, and, and when that, somebody in here was saying to me a few weeks ago that he was at work and he got a call from the, the, the head guy, the big cheese, I'd like you to come in and see me. And he told me, he said, normally, now normally that's not a good thing. But when I first heard it, I got a little concerned, and I thought to myself, well, God's in control of everything. I can't think of anything I've done wrong. Perhaps there's something I'm not aware of. And I'm going to see him in about an hour. You know, normally, he said, I would have wasted the time just being worried and concerned. And and he said, you know what? I just said, Lord, you're in complete control, no matter if I go in there and it's bad or if I go in there and it's good. You're in charge of everything. He said, I just went back to work for an hour. See, the providence of God will save your life. The providence of God will actually make you more productive. Why? Uh, Because in the providence of God, all needs are known before they are voiced. Oh, Lord, by the way. Yeah. Jesus spoke to him first. Here's number four. In the providence of God... I, I can say this about 10 different ways. In the providence of God, the chain of events, here's what I'm going to say, is to be um, pondered upon. In the providence of God, the chain of events is to be pondered upon. John Flavel, the old uh, Puritan, used to say, learn to adore the providence of God. Learn to adore it. Adore it. To adore the providence of God, you got to step back and look at the chain of events. And when you look at them, and what happens is you begin to marvel at God's power. And you begin to marvel at God's plan. And you begin to marvel. So so what's the deal here? What's going on? Um, Well, basically, as Jesus talks to Peter... He says, so what do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? Now, Matthew presents Jesus as king, king of kings. He's the king. This, this tax was uh, to go to the maintenance and the support uh, of the place of meeting, the place of worship, uh, which, was, you know, which was the temple. If, uh, turn over to Malachi. Is it Malachi? I hadn't planned on doing this. Yeah, or Malachi, either one. See, Jesus is the king, and they're asking, is he going to pay the tax? Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. That's John the Baptist. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. They're asking, does he pay the tax? Well, you know what Jesus is saying? Hey, does the king? Hey, hey, listen, You know, in essence, you know what Jesus is saying? Hey, that's my temple. The king doesn't pay tax. His sons don't pay tax. That's my deal. But in order not to shake them up too much, we'll pay the tax. <laughs> this is great. So Peter, here's what I want you to do. Um, don't take your net because you're not going to need a whole bunch of fish on this deal. You're just going to need one fish. Um, what, what, What does he say here? Look at 27. I'm back in Matthew 17. However, so that we do not offend them. Go to the sea and throw in a hook. Not a net. Throw in a hook. And take the first fish That comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Now, that is astonishing. This is astonishing. Let's ponder this a little bit. And let's adore the providence of God. Hey, guys, this, this, now, this is power. This is something to be marveled at. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who has called us to know Him. This is the God who is running our lives. This is the God who is in control of everything, every event, every circumstance in our lives. And quite frankly, we have times where we get stressed out. I mean, do you? I do. I got a little concerned last night, but I should have been asleep. I I never have. I I I just go to sleep. Uh, Drink a little Jack Daniels, puts me right out. (laughs) No, um, I don't do that, but I take my calcium, and I take my magnesium, and I take my red yeast rice, and... uh, I take a swig of collagen. I, I really do this, and then I drink eight ounces of water, and uh, then I go in the bathroom and throw up. And then I go to sleep. <laughs> but I do go to sleep. I I don't have trouble sleeping. I just and I read. I read something light. I don't read anything heavy. I got either Louis L'Amour there, some inane you know, cowboy story, and I and, you know I'm reading about four paragraphs, and I'm, okay, that's it. I'm out. That's kind of my routine. I can't read theology at night. Uh, you know. okay. Last night I had trouble sleeping. And because I was, I'm, I'm looking at my schedule, and I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at this, and then this needs to happen here, and this needs to happen here. And I've known about this for quite a while, but if this doesn't happen here and this doesn't happen here, it's going to be very interesting. Now, I know God's in control. I said, well, God's in control. But then I started thinking, yeah, but you know what? <laughs> and then I couldn't sleep at all. And then I started going through all my scriptures. And usually, if I go through scripture, I fall asleep. It's amazing how that happens. Uh, I was having trouble sleeping. And I'm fighting, you know? I'm, I'm having the fight. I, I, I Did I believe that God was in control? Yeah. But sometimes you got to fight the good fight because you're in a little bit of a struggle. You're in a little bit of a, a war going on. And, uh, and I'm fighting it off. I'm really fighting it. And I'm going through scripture and, I'm going through, and I can't sleep. And about 3 o'clock, I'm thinking to myself, I pray, I mean, pray, you know, Lord, I just need to call. I, I, I know you're in charge. I know it's all going to be handled. I know it's going to be handled. What is my problem? And I thought to myself, gosh, I wish, you know, I, w- you know if Ma- I wish Mary was awake and we could just talk for a few minutes. That's what I thought to myself. And about a minute later, she starts coughing. You know, she smokes a couple packs of Marlboros a day. <laughs> Actually, she doesn't. But she started coughing. She gets up, goes and gets drink water, and comes back to bed. And she says, "Are you awake?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm just having a little trouble sleeping." She said, "Why?" I said, "You know, I don't know." That's what I said. <laughs> she said, "I know what you're thinking about." I said, "Really?" And she, and she and and she said, "You're thinking about this." And I said, "Oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I am." And so we talked. We wanted to talk for about 45 minutes and praying. It was really interesting. And, and you know what? You know what's great? That was the providence of God. And she didn't tell me, you know, the two are better than one. That's just a little slice of the goodness of God in that situation. We didn't talk about anything new. We didn't talk about anything I didn't know. We just, it was God's provision. It, it is making any sense at all? See? Because, see, here's the thing, guys. We know certain things to be true, but sometimes we're going to battle them. Not battle the truth. We're going to battle to maintain our equilibrium. You see? Because we get worn down and we get tired. It happens to everybody. Everybody. Especially when you get tired. So what Les was saying, well, this is a time we pray for our leaders. This is a time we pray. We pray for these guys and support them. Why? Tough time. Hard time. discouraging time. Emotionally exhausting time. We've all been there. Okay. Let's ponder the chain of events. Go down there, throw in a hook. Get a hook. The first fish is going to come up. going to be a, uh, um, a shekel. Use that to pay the taxes. All right, let's ponder this a little bit. You guys got a minute to ponder? Okay. For all of this to have come about. (laughs) And this is great stuff. Okay. For all of this to have come about. See, we're talking about the fact that Peter walks in and he's going to tell Jesus, and Jesus tells him before it happens. Now, here's the other thing. Not only did Jesus tell him before it happened, but Jesus already had the solution in place. What did it take to have that fish there with the coin in its mouth so that at the precise moment when Peter throws in a hook, that's the fish that comes up. So where did the fish, let's ask this question, where did the fish get the coin? Did God just create the coin? I don't think he did. I think somebody lost the coin. But you see, in the providence of God, God is sovereign all things over all things, including financial gain and financial loss. Uh, what did Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Somebody lost this coin, which was equal to two days' wages. Huh. Now, who was this person that lost this coin? We don't know. Um but they lost it. And this fish was in the exact right place so that this fish uh, caught this coin in its mouth. Now, so where did this individual lose this coin? By the way, who was this individual? And where did they lose the coin? Well, they're somewhere on the Sea of Galilee. Well, were they up by Capernaum, or were they down on the other end by Tiberius, Or where were they? Well, we don't know. Well, why were they there? Were they there because... Um, they were there to hear Jesus? We don't know. Or was the guy, did he have a fish market there or what? See, see we don't know. But you know what's going to be interesting about heaven? I want to get the story on this thing. <laughs> don't you? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great to have Jesus say, hey, So, Lord, tell us about this. The guy, so who lost the coin? So he says, yeah, You're going to love this. <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> Because what I did with this guy, and let me tell you why I had this guy lose the coin. See, this guy had actually come and, you know, now see, I'm, I'm just surmising here. But actually, I'm not. The Lord told me this. The Lord spoke to me. I've been given a revelation about the guy that lost the coin. I don't know. Was the guy a believer? I don't know. See, we don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a story there somewhere, and that guy didn't lose that coin by chance. He lost it by providence. Sometimes the Lord gives, and sometimes the Lord takes away. See, we like it when the Lord gives, but sometimes the Lord takes away because we need something to be taken away. Why is it that sometimes things are taken away in our lives as believers? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, great book. He talks about all the different ways that the enemy seeks to depress believers. And, oh man, did I mark this? I got so many marks in here. Here it is. Okay, good. Is this book huh? Is this book still in print? Yeah, it is. Um, in speaking of Hebrews 12 5, where it says, Whom the Lord disciplines, the Lord, the Lord disciplines whom the Lord loves, listen to this. He uses the word chastise for discipline because that's what the old authorized version uses. How does God chastise his children? And once again, we don't know if the guy who lost the coin was a believer or not, okay? How does God chastise his children? He does so very largely through circumstances. All sorts and all kinds of circumstances. Nothing is more important in the Christian life than we should realize that everything that happens to us is of significance if we can but see it. He's talking here about providence. Nothing happens to us accidentally. Contrary to what the guy said on TV the other night. A sparrow shall not fall to the ground without your father, says our Lord. And if that is true of the sparrow, how much more so of us? Nothing can happen to us apart from our father. Circumstances are constantly affecting us, and their purpose is to produce our sanctification. That means to help us grow in Christ. Pleasant circumstances and unpleasant circumstances. We should therefore be observant and always asking for lessons, seeking and asking questions. Now let me particularize, Lloyd-Jones says. The Bible teaches us very clearly that one particular circumstance which God often uses in this respect is some financial loss. A change in one's material position, uh, position, the loss of goods, the loss of possessions, the loss of money. These are often used by God. You get descriptions of it in the Old Testament, and it often happened in the subsequent history of God's people in the church, that by means of some loss, in a temporal and material sense, God has taught a man a lesson which apparently he could not have learned in any other way. God is sovereign over financial loss. Whoever lost the coin had a financial loss. Why? We don't know. Sometimes as believers, we have financial loss, because of pride we're getting too proud we look around and say "Gosh, look what I've done well you know what yo yo you didn't do anything so I work hard and I'm sure you do but Deuteronomy 8.18 says it is he who gives you the power to make wealth sometimes we get proud and see the thing about being proud you don't even know you're proud C.S. Lewis, in his classic book, Mere Christianity, has a little chapter called The Greatest Sin. How many of you guys have ever read this? I'm going to tell you something. It's brilliant. He, t- he shows how the greatest sin in the world is pride. Because pride <coughs> is that which makes you think you're just a little bit better. Just a little bit better. And it's everywhere in our culture. So LSU won the national championship in football a few years ago. And up until that point, and LSU beat Oklahoma. Well, the coach at Oklahoma, Stoops, was the highest paid coach in college football. When LSU beat him, they gave Saban a new contract. You know how much it was for? One dollar more <laughs> than Bob Stoops. That's pride. Just a little bit better. Just a little bit better. And Lewis goes on like a surgeon with a knife, and he's pride this, pride this, and he gets to the end of it. And he says, now, if you're reading this chapter, and as you read it, you're thinking thinking to yourself, I'm so thankful that I don't have this problem of pride in my life. (laughs) He said, you are the most proud person of all. See, the thing about pride, you don't see it. And so, what happens is sometimes God will take something away in order to save us from great sin and great destruction in our lives. So, this guy loses a coin. Who lost the coin? We don't know. But you know what? Some guy lost the coin. God was. God was in charge of the fact that he lost it. Have you ever lost something? Have you ever lost something financially? Have you lost this or that? You know what? God was in complete control over your financial loss. In complete control. Now, God, uh, did Job lose anything financially? He lost everything, including his finances, including his kids. But at the appropriate time, you know what God did? God gave him everything back double. Why? Because God had done the work in Job's life, and he had tested Job, and now he could handle what God wanted to give him. So God brings prosperity, and God brings adversity. God gives health. The next thing Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about after finances is that God uses physical sickness. He says, now, is every physical sickness a chastening from the Lord? No, it isn't, but some are. First Corinthians 11, you had people in the church at Corinth abusing the Lord's Supper. They were getting drunk. They were gluttons at the Lord's table. And Paul said, some of you are sick, and some of you sleep. That's a metaphor for you're dead. Some of you, God's taken your lives. So God chastens believers. So let's go back. Let's look at this ring of the Go throw in a hook, Peter. There was going to be a fish with a coin. Some guy lost something. He lost it in the providence of God. Now, the fish was there when the coin was lost. The, and, and then start thinking this through. And the fish takes the coin, put it in, and, and is keeping it with, Now, where did this happen? We don't know. When did it happen? We don't know. Ten minutes before? Three days before? We don't know. But God's running this whole thing. Where was the fish? We don't know where he was. But, but then Jesus says to Peter, go down, throw in a hook. He throws in a hook, and the first fish, Peter throws in this hook, this fish grabs the hook without losing the coin. Peter pulls him in. See, the fish was there at the appointed time with the appointed provision. There's so much more there we could talk about. But do you see how the providence of God, in the providence of God, the chain of events is to be pondered upon? Some of you guys have stories in your life, in your family's history that you know about. That are, that are remarkable stories of the providence of God, of the goodness of God. We need to ponder those things. All that had to take place. The currents in the Sea of Galilee. The, do you guys, does this get you at all? Huh? This is powerful stuff. You got a comment? Has God told you something? Okay. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Previously, you said past promises fuel faith in future promises. Yeah. And that's what we were talking about when Christ said, hey, I know you can fish on that, but throw the right. man over there. Right. Look at what Peter's doing now. Yeah. Peter has a complete childlike faith and goes and throws the book and says, what? Yeah, he doesn't question. Which goes back to the obedience issue where Jesus obeyed the law. Here Peter is obeying the one who gave the law point. Number five, in the providence of God, and I've already covered this actually, in the providence of God, financial loss is sometimes a tool for growth. Since I just covered that, let's go to six. In the providence of God, the provision is prepared and waiting before there is a need. Let's do that one one more time. In the providence of God, the provision is prepared and waiting before there is a need. Peter, you know, shows up. He's out there on the street. The guys come up. Hey, does your master pay the... I mean, he's, just, he's just going through life. It's a chance encounter, we'd call it. Does your master pay the tax? Yeah, he pays the tax. I better go talk to Jesus about it. He goes into the house... Jesus speaks to him first. Hey, let's talk about this, Peter. Let's pay the tax. Go down, throw the hook in, get the fish. There'll be a drachma. When did God start working to have the need and the provision prepared? This just happened minutes before. When the sovereignty of see, this is where God has a plan. This is where nothing takes God by surprise. This is I'll tell you guys, this is sweet stuff. This is good stuff. Um, I mentioned to you before about Francis Schaefer and the ministry he had in Europe, in Switzerland, his ministry called Le Brie. They called him the apostle to the intellectuals. He was a pastor in St. Louis and after World War II. Um, he was asked by um, the Presbytery and his Presbyterian guy, church. The session asked him to go over, and they wanted to see what the needs were in Europe, you know, what kind of ministry needs. So they sent him over, and he came back, and he said, there are all these orphaned kids, and, and liberalism is in the churches right after World War II. So you need to send somebody over there. And they basically said, well, why don't you and your wife and your kids go? They went over there, and basically they just had one disaster after another. Couldn't find a place to live. They were going to be thrown out of the country. Their visa was revoked. And their son gets polio and their daughter's got rheumatic fever and and I mean nothing is working. Nothing is happening. And they're on hold, waiting to get this visa to remain in the country, and they're trying to rent a chalet, and it's just, it's all falling apart. And Schaefer's got all this time on his hands. In the afternoon, and his faith is kind of shaken. And so what he does in the afternoons, he's hiking the Alps and he's thinking to himself, all right, why do I really believe this stuff? And he goes all the way back to the very beginning and he rethinks his faith in light of all the liberals that are attacking, saying the thing which the Da Vinci Code is saying now, in light of Karl Barth and all this new stuff, and he's thinking, are there any biblical answers? And he rethinks his whole faith. And he feels like he's wasting his life. He had no idea that God was going to set up a ministry where college students from all over the world would come to this place in Labrie in a little town that's not even on the map called Waymo. And that he and his family would minister it to them. People are now congressmen, people that are very amazing. He had no idea. Everything's against the guy. The visa's not coming. They're trying to rent. They're trying to rent. They're trying to rent. And finally, Schaefer is so discouraged, he starts packing his boxes because they got to leave in two days. And his wife says, Do you mind if I just go ahead and look tomorrow? Because he had to go speak somewhere and then he was going to come back. And he said, That's fine, but we're gone. And uh, then this lady calls, and this friend of theirs, her water broke, and her child needed, she had to deliver the child where they were, doctors. She has to go deliver this baby. It's a terrible time. She delivers the baby. She comes out. She's exhausted. And as she's walking down the street, she's in tears because they just have another day to look. And she says, she just breaks into tears. She said, Lord, if you want us here, Please. And she's no more uttered this than a man says, Mrs. Schaefer, have you found a place yet? And he, she looks over, and it's this, when they first came several years ago, this guy showed them around, and that was it. It wasn't very helpful. She was shocked he knew their name, remembered her name. And she says, we have it. He said, I have a place. Do you have a minute? Can I show it to you? Just a short drive. They drive up the mountain, pull up in front. She sees this place. Three levels, bedrooms, kitchens on each floor. She said, this would be perfect. And he says, I have to run up, drop a paper, I'll come back, you look around. And as, and as he's starting to drive off, she says, by the way, how much is the rent? And he goes, rent? is for sale. They couldn't even afford rent. And the place was for sale. But as he was gone and she looked, this seemed like the perfect place. She said, Lord, if you're in this, and see, Lord, we've been thinking to Randy, Lord, would you want us to buy this place? And Jesus appeared to her. <laughs> she didn't know, but she said, Lord, if you're in this. And she said, suddenly, I just said, Lord, would you send by noon tomorrow a down payment for this? The next morning in the mail, I needed a down payment, an exact number. A check came in the mail from a couple in Pennsylvania for the exact amount of the down payment that was required. Now, she goes on to say in the book that later they wrote a letter and said, "Uh, my husband had a payoff from early retirement from his business. We were out looking at houses. We were looking at houses, rental property. And I looked at my husband and I said, you know, all this stuff is going to be, it's all going to be gone one day. Honey, what if we took this money and invested it in the kingdom of God? He said, well, let's do it. For three months, they prayed. Where would you have us invest this money, Lord? For three months. And one night, as they were praying, they were in bed together before they were going to sleep. They were praying, Lord, where would you have us? They remembered the Schaeffers. We going to give this to the Schaeffers. It was so strong, they got up, got dressed, wrote the check, addressed the envelope. And took it down to the main post office. What does God do? God provides the provision before there's ever a need. Let's finish. Here's here's number seven. In the providence of God, the promise is the guarantee of the payment. One more time. In the providence of God, The promise is the guarantee of the payment. Look at Matthew 18, verse 28. So Peter went down to the lake, threw the hook in, caught the fish, the fish came out, he took the shekel, paid the taxes, just as Jesus said. You see that there? Actually, you don't see it because there is no verse 28. I you were very worried there for a minute. But see, I see things that other men don't see. I got to be on Christian television. See, there is no verse 28. You know what's very interesting about this miracle? It ends with the instruction that Jesus gave to Peter, and it never tells us what happened. But do we know what happened? Yeah, we know what happened. Why? Because Jesus told Peter what was going to happen. You see, in the providence of God, the promise is the guarantee of the payment. Go down there, throw in a hook, pull out the first fish, there's going to be a shekel, go down and pay the taxes. They didn't need to say he did it and it happened because the one who controls all things told him it was going to happen. That's the God we serve. I can live off this another week. Can you? We have five minutes. Any questions on the providence of God? What was number five? Now you're asking me things I don't know. Number five. Yeah, in the providence of God, financial loss sometimes is a tool for Growth. That's number five. Yes, sir. Why is it that some, uh, you you're not know the answer I'm not going to know the answer to it. But, it. To it. <laughs> but I hope you do. Well, I probably, I'm with I'm, you. I'm with you. Yeah. So you're saying she prayed, got her hopes up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. and we're walking with it. and, yeah. and we, we come upon an event and this door opens and we this is it this is it, this is it. Let me, hold on let me, hold on hold on let me summarize because I'll lose it these guys can't hear you what if you had a parade and you get right up to the event and it looks like this is it this is it and then it's not it and the door shuts and they didn't get a check and, they a check. and then they would have they would have been out of Switzerland yeah you have to keep going. You keep One of the principles, that's the, hard part. that's the hard part. One of the principles I did in Joseph is that God is in control over broken hopes. Because when that jailer was, th- that uh, cupbearer and the other guy was thrown in with Joseph, now Joseph had a connection. See, now he had done something for somebody. Yeah. The guy's going back to work for Pharaoh. He's with Pharaoh every day. He says, hey, man, mention me to Pharaoh. Don't forget me. That's a broken hope. Yeah, that's Joseph had to create an ally. Joseph needed an ally. Joseph needed an ally. Yeah. And that door opened, but God shut it. Right. In order for, I mean, we look back, yeah. and we're going to pay the price. Right. So you look back, you see the problem is there. And you know what? God sent that ally. It was an ally. It was just two years off. Right. Joseph said, oh, here's my ally, and I'm out of here. Yeah, in two years. <clears throat> You're not here nor now. Oh, by the way, by the way, with the Shafers, when they went in to get their V, because they got the down payment on the house, now they had to go through the approval to deal and go through this bureaucratic maze, and they walk in to the American consul, and they said, Could we see the what do you call the guy? Whatever he is, the consulatio or whatever he is, I don't know, the ambassador. And the guy was kind of rude to him. He said, Just a minute. Finally, they walk in and they meet this gentleman. And he introduces himself. He said, I'm Francis Schaefer, I'm such and such. He goes, Francis Schaefer. He said, I used to know a Francis Schaefer in high school in Germantown, Pennsylvania. And Francis Schaefer said, What was your name again, sir? And they were classmates at Germantown High School. (laughs) Hadn't seen each other in, you know, 29 years. What are you doing here? This, that, that's unbelievable. What do you need? We need our visas renewed. Okay. (laughs) And in 15 minutes, they had what they couldn't get in three years. He needed an ally. He got an ally. But if you don't get it, it's because it's not time yet. Isn't that great? So he's got us covered. Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. My, yeah, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Yeah. It's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Amen. I was going to say, though, discouragement is real. Discouragement. you if feel you discouraged, you don't know what the ending is. Exactly. Yeah, discouragement is real, and you don't know what the ending is. Yeah. Absolutely, because we're human, and we get weary, and we get tired, and we get tired of fighting, and we think, when is this going to be over? That's why Joseph, he was in prison for two years. You think every day he got up bubbly? (laughs) I don't think so. I think just like, Scott, you have and I have. We have our good days. We have our bad days. You know what? Whenever I teach on the providence of God, I get nailed within 48 hours. I get tested. You gonna believe this? It's easy to teach. It's fun to teach. It's exciting to teach. I'm gonna tell you something, something's gonna happen in the next 48 hours. It happens to me all the time. All right, because it's not just for me to teach, it's for me to embrace and live in my own life. Do I trust you here, Lord? Do I trust you? Well, you, I, you know, I, I think sometimes you just say, you know, Lord, I know this is true. Just, you, you, I, just, you, I just need you to help me here. I'm just, I'm just fighting it. I think here's what happens. When you quit fighting, you're dead. You fight to hold on to it. You know, John Piper talks about the fight is to maintain your joy. That's the fight. When you quit fighting, then you're dead. Uh, you know, we fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. So do we struggle? Sure we struggle. Of course we struggle. All these guys struggled. Because we don't know the end yet. We don't see it yet. We walk by faith and not by sight. And it's from faith to faith. Be this way till we die. Way back in the back. How do you explain the loss of a child to a parent in the providence? Yeah. Well, I think if it does, if if the providence of God doesn't work in the loss of a child, the providence of God doesn't work. There's nothing deeper. There's. No, was it your granddaughter you lost five years ago? Yeah. There, there's. There's nothing more devastating. Um. So. So, so what do you say to that? David, David lost a child. A child as, as a result of his adultery with Bathsheba. And the child was hanging on and sick, and David's fasting and praying. And then they came, David noticed his servants talking, and he looked up and he said, has the child died? And they said yes. But he hadn't eaten anything. He gets up and he eats, and they go, What are you doing? Well, basically, God's made the decision here. And I, you know what David said? David said, one day I will go to him. But in the province of God, this is the decision that the Lord has made. I I think, uh, here's what I think in the loss of a child. I think you have to say this to parents. I think you have to say, That this is where Psalm 119.68 is either true or it isn't. That says the Lord is good and does good. When George Mueller, who we talked about last week, when he lost his wife, he he preached a sermon with three points. and I I don't know if I can remember them. This was a wife, not a child. But the first point was the Lord was good in giving us the time together that we had. The other two points were just as profound. Uh, His last point was basically the Lord was good in taking her because now she is not suffering. Now there'll be no more pain. Now there, there was tremendous loss. I miss her. I love her to death. She is in such a better place. God was good in taking her to that good place. The pain is here. The sorrow is here. So to parents, I think you focus on the goodness of God. And I think you, on the providence of God. David said in Psalm 119, uh, thine eyes have seen my unformed substance in the womb. And in thy book, they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. We we hope that all children, that parents always want to outlive their children. There's nothing more difficult than a parent burying a child. So you take them to the providence of God. God's either good or he isn't. Job said, yet though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If it doesn't work there, it doesn't work anywhere. This is real life stuff. The guy on TV, by the way, had lost a child. The guy referred to, starting off. That was a tragedy in his life. And I felt so sorry for the guy that he didn't know the scriptures better and he's a pastor. Pastor. I ached for the guy. Because see, thing that saved, the thing that will save his life and losing his daughter, and of course he's grief-stricken, he needs to know the God of that Bible that he's in charge of all things. He doesn't need Jesus sitting there telling him and say, accidents happen. Hmm. How sad. So Lord, I pray for that pastor. Dear man with a broken heart, I pray that you might reveal yourself to him in all your fullness from the word of God. That he might discover your providence and your greatness and your goodness and that in your sovereignty accidents absolutely do not happen. It's just that you do things that we can't comprehend. But you're good and you do good and nothing is out of your control. So this week as we go through life. There are going to be times where we're going to get hit and we're going to have to wrestle and struggle. But that's okay. That'll build spiritual muscle. We don't ever want to get away from this truth. It's the, God, it's the God's truth. It's the God we serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.